Boys and girls, thank you so much. We're looking forward to the night and to hearing this whole musical. <clears throat> While they are being seated, let me just uh, remind you um, that um, uh, we're, we're so uh, grateful as we have expressed about Will being here today and the miracle that God uh, has performed in his life. But uh, I also want to uh, acknowledge the fact that we've seen another miracle in our church family this past week. And uh, most of you know Steve Strobel had uh, an accident in uh, Nashville uh, this week. He was out in a kayak uh, um, and passed out, went under the water. Um, uh, and uh, fortunately, he was not under the water for too long a period of time. Wendy said that it was about 10 seconds, uh, which is a long time, but it's, it could have been a lot worse. And um, uh, he's still in the hospital in Nashville at Vanderbilt. Um, uh, they, um, he had some infection in his lungs. They've got that under control with some antibiotics, but they're still uh, keeping him for observation. They're just trying to find out what is causing uh, Steve to uh, pass out. This is not the first time that he has passed out lately, and uh, uh, they just want to make sure that they know what is causing this. So keep Steve in your prayers, and um, uh, let's uh, continue to pray for his recovery and his um, safe uh, journey back home. Wendy is there with him, Philip. Uh, just pray for them. And I know Luke is concerned being in India, not being here for his father. So pray for Luke as well. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and open it to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Um, uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about uh, growing smaller on purpose, the benefits of small groups. If you take a bunch of knives and you put them into a box with a sharpener and you close the lid of that box and shake it up really hard, how sharp do you think those knives will become? Not very sharp, right? However, if you take a single knife together with a sharpener and work the two of them, you'll see a significant improvement. A sharpening will take place on that knife. You see, it takes that extra attention to detail to make an improvement in that single knife. Friend, that same principle is true in the church and in the Christian life. And it's important for us to understand that if we're going to benefit, if we're going to be uh, sharp in our lives for the Father and for the Lord Jesus Christ, then while it is good to be in a gathering such as this in corporate worship, if we're really going to grow, if we're really going to be sharp for the Lord, then we need to be involved in a smaller group. Pro Solomon writes there in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Here we see the value of one-on-one -on -one relationships and the effect that smaller groups have over larger ones. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we're told that the early church gathered in two different settings. They gathered in the temple courts. That was the huge 
uh, courtyard surrounding the temple. That would be what um, uh, these kids that were up here singing for us this morning, that would be what they call big church. Um, they also gathered in their homes. We would call these small groups. Now, we need both the large group experience. We need corporate worship. There's something about corporate worship that is good, that is healthy in the life of the believer. But we also need the small group um, environment for Bible study and fellowship. Corporate worship is level one of spiritual growth. That's where we come together to experience and celebrate the life we have in the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of God's word, through the prayers that are lifted up and our praise to God. But in order to really grow, in order to uh, become sharp in our walk with God, we need to move to level two, smaller, more intimate settings, um, so that true growth and discipleship can take place. Now, this can be done in our Sunday groups that meet on Sunday mornings here at the church. Um, it can be done in our men's and women's groups that meet at various times during the week, youth Bible study groups, on and on. These kinds of groups offer that potential. These small groups have a tremendous impact on those who participate. And what I want you to think about this morning uh, from the message is that a church grows stronger from growing smaller. A church grows stronger by growing smaller. So let me explain what I mean by that. This morning I want us to think about the advantages of the small group ministry in the life of a church. There are certain factors that you and I need to think about. Benefits, advantages of being in a small group. The first factor that I would want you to think about when you think about the importance of small groups and the advantage of being in such a group is the intimacy factor. Now, take your Bible. We're going to be looking in a lot of places this morning. This is a more topical message than I normally do. Um, uh, we're taking a break from Ephesians this morning. Um, and I want you to see um, uh, from the Word of God, various places in the Scriptures, why the small group ministry is important in the life of a church. And this first factor is what I call the intimacy factor. There in Mark chapter 3, um, we read in verse 14, And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Now, you know, Jesus did a lot of ministry to the masses. We, we know that his uh, famous Sermon on the Mount was preached to uh, a, a great gathering of followers. Uh, we read about his feeding of the 5,000 or his teaching in the synagogues. However, along with this, Jesus had an intimate group of 12 men whom he devoted extra time by pouring his life and teaching into them. Jesus believed in the small group ministry. 
while he did not, I mean, while he did a lot of mass evangelism, the depth of his teaching took place in a more intimate setting with the 12 apostles. He may have taught the parables to the masses, but it was to the 12 that he took the time to really explain what those parables meant. Friend, as a preacher, I have a lot to cover in a small amount of time on a Sunday morning. And I can only give you so much from God's Word. But when you get into a small group, you have the opportunity not only to hear the lesson from God's Word by your teacher, but you have the opportunity to ask questions, to learn from one another, to dig deeper into God's Word, and to let the Word dig deeper into your own life. Real discipleship takes place in a more intimate gathering than one such as this. It takes place in a gathering of no more than 12 to 15 people. Once you pass that, you lose some of that intimacy that is associated with small group ministry. So that's the first thing I want you to see. The first advantage, the first factor is the intimacy factor. But that's followed by the teaching factor. <clears throat> if you turn over to Acts chapter 2, look in verse 42, where Luke records that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now that means they studied the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. But in addition, they listened to what the apostles taught about Jesus, what Jesus had said and done. For us, it would be like reading the four Gospels. The Bible is special, amen? We believe that the Bible is the inspired and infallible and inerrant Word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, we believe that the Bible is God's word. When the Bible speaks, we believe God is speaking to us. So we believe by studying the Bible, we become better equipped to live the Christian life. Amen? <clears throat> Many Christians have the Bible in their hands but few have it in their heads and their hearts. Small group Bible study is good for increasing our knowledge of God and for learning what God's plan and God's purpose is for our lives. A small group Bible study will make you a better husband, a better wife, a better employee, a better boss, a better student, a better friend, a better neighbor, and it will also tell you how to get to heaven as well. So we see that another advantage to the small group ministry is the teaching of God's Word. There's a third factor that I want you to see from God's Word as to the importance of small groups, and that's what I call the fellowship factor. Now, we're staying here in Acts 2, verse 42. We also read 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, and it literally means sharing. One of the best synonyms for fellowship is sharing. The advantage of small groups is sharing what God is doing in your life, what others are doing. Uh, experiencing in their own lives and so when people get together in a small group not only is there that intimacy of getting to know one another on a personal level they learn uh, the word of God from the teaching of God's word and as they hear the word of God and as they get to know one another they begin to open up and they begin to share what the passages that are being taught mean to them personally, what they have experienced. And they learn from the others in the group how God has been working in their own life. Listen, friend, I love hearing the testimonies of our men. Um, uh, they're the ones that I generally hear the most of, being a man myself and being uh, 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 uh concerned about the men's ministry of our church. Um, I love hearing the testimonies that men share about what they're learning and how they're growing from their small groups that meet not just on Sunday morning with their Sunday school class, but also at various times during the week, whether it's a Tuesday night, a Thursday night, a Saturday morning, or whatever. They talk about how in their group they are able to share things that they would never share to a larger group. How they open up and they share things that they're going through and how uh, they need prayer for certain times in their life. And they learn from other men in the group about what they're going through, how it's impacting and changing their life. Look at verse 46 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now what that means is that they enjoyed being together for times of fellowship outside of the Sabbath or Sunday. In our case, they got together regularly and they shared meals they laughed together, they prayed together, they studied the scriptures together. It was an opportunity for them to fellowship and to uh, get closer together, to connect in a way that they would never be able to do were they just involved in corporate worship. We are practicing the same kind of friendly fellowship, the early church practiced when we're involved in a Sunday school class or a small group Bible study. The fourth factor that makes small groups important is the ministry factor. God has called us to use our different gifts and our skills and our talents and our experiences to minister to one another. Friend, God doesn't expect the staff and the deacons. doesn't expect just the staff of the church and the deacons to do all of the ministry in the church. In fact, those of you in your small groups in your Sunday school classes, you have greater opportunities to minister to one another than we ever would have 
for one simple reason. The very first factor that I shared with you, the intimacy factor. You know one another. Listen, um, uh, when, when people go through things, um, just like in Will's case, when he was going, Charlie and Teresa, who are in Michael and Gary's Sunday school class, those of you in that class, I know, I've heard reports of how that class came together and uh, ministered to this family. Steve Strobel, who teaches one of our small groups, I know that his small group has ministered to he and Wendy this week. That's what happens in small groups. We minister to one another. The writer of Hebrews says this. Look what it says up there on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 20 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friend, we're called to stir each other up to love and good works. And I can't think of a better place to do that than from within a small group. When a need is to be met, what better way to do that than those who know each other best, your small group? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, we're all going to face troubles. We're all going to go through trials. And when we go through a particularly hard time, when we go through difficulties, God uses us. Once we've worked our way through that difficulty, through that time of adversity, through that trial, God uses us to comfort those in our small group who themselves are going through something similar. It may not be the exact same thing, but it's something similar. And God uses those in a small group to comfort the others in the group. Friend, you will find these servants. Listen, you can find these servants in a large gathering such as this. But if all you do is see someone from this side of the room, on the other side of the room, you don't really know their name, you, don't, you know they belong in this church, but you're not close to them. But when you get to your small group, all of a sudden you're faced with people who know you, people who really care about you, people who know what you're going through. And God has placed those servants in that small group for a reason. And that is so that, because your, your trial, your suffering, your adversity is no surprise to God. God already knew you, this would be coming. But God put you in that environment so that when this day came, when this time in your life came, when you were faced with this difficult situation, these difficult circumstances, God had the people ready to comfort you and to minister to your need. That's another benefit of being in a small group. Well, then there's the fifth factor, which I call the faith factor. 
the small group members can encourage each other in their faith. Now, we all at times express doubt in our faith. Amen? Listen, I just had a, a pastor friend uh, express to me how they themselves had begun to doubt their own faith. It happens to all of us, and we need the encouragement of other believers to lift our spirits and to encourage us when our faith is weak and when our faith is strong and when we're walking in close intimacy with the Father, then God uses us to strengthen the faith of other believers. Um, Paul, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Look what it says there. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You see, in a small group, people are more likely to share the times when they doubt, the times when they struggle, they're more apt to share um, their own insights and their testimony of how God is working in their life and periods where they went through a dry spell and how God ministered to them and they came through that. And now God is using them to share with someone else who is at a point in their life, in their spiritual journey, when their own faith is weak. And God uses them to be a strengthening source to that person whose faith is now weak. Friend, this, look, the Christian life is hard, amen? It's hard for all of us. It, it's, it's difficult, and we need one another to strengthen our faith. Um, uh, that's impossible in a gathering such as this. But in a small group setting, it is not only possible, it happens. The faith factor. The sixth factor that I would uh, mention to you as to uh, the importance is the accountability factor. Now go back to our original text. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Group members hold each other accountable. If someone announces that he or she plans to work on making a change in their lifestyle or that they're wrestling with some sinful habit, other members of the group may ask, how's it going? How are you doing in your walk? How are you doing in this decision that you've made? Um, what's going on? And the next time you see them and you see them, you know they're going to hold you accountable. And they're going to ask. And that supports you. That strengthens you. That encourages you to keep going, especially in the face of temptation. When temptation comes and it arises, it's ug rises its ugly head, that encouragement, that knowledge that you're going to be accountable to those in your small group, God uses that to be your defense against Satan. Because you don't want to upset and disappoint your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you know that they're praying for you, and you want to be held accountable for your decisions. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Likewise, people in small groups are used to sharpen one another so as to be a powerful influence for the Lord. Friend, each member depends upon the others to sharpen his or her life. And can I just add, 
That includes the Bible study leader, just like it does pastors. Friend, none of us are immune to the needs of these things. We all need those people that are close to us, that hold us accountable, that encourage us, that strengthen us, that minister to us, that comfort us. I thank God for the few people God has put in my life that I know at all times are praying for me, who are encouraging me, who send me notes, make a phone call and just say, Bird, I am thinking about you today. I know you're going through this and I want you to know I have held you up in prayer today you can't imagine if you're not in a small group and you don't have a close group of friends you can't imagine what that does to you in a large setting like corporate worship if you're out for a week or two it may not be noticed but I can assure you the people in your small group will know and it's they're not calling you they're not texting you to say how you doing where you've been because they're just trying to make you feel bad they're letting you know they miss you and that you're important and that they care about you. And there's a whole new level of accountability you can't get, in, you know, that you can get in a small group that you'll never achieve by being in a large gathering like this. So let me just wrap up by saying, I sincerely believe that God wants Cornerstone to take things to the next level. That Corporate worship is good. Corporate worship is necessary. But we should never stop with corporate worship. We need, that's level one in the Christian life. We need to move to level two. And that is, we need to grow smaller. By that I mean, we need to purposely be a part of small group ministry. As individuals and as a church family, I can tell you the staff and the leadership believe this. We believe that in order for the church to grow stronger, Cornerstone must intentionally grow smaller. We need to break our church family into as many small groups as possible in order to grow spiritually and numerically. By doing so, everyone will benefit greatly. Do you know that most often when people leave a church, it is generally those who are not plugged into a small group or who were once plugged into a small group but have pulled away that leave. Small groups are essential to connecting people to other members of the church family and in keeping people involved and committed to the overall vision of the church. So we need to constantly be evaluating this very important ministry. Today, I would just say to you, our Sunday school numbers have not increased at all over the last two years. We have kind of flatlined. In fact, we've lost uh, some numbers, to be perfectly honest, in some areas. So, and one of the factors is that we are out of facility space. We are no longer able to start new classes. We have classes that are really too big to be considered a small group. They became that way because we don't have the space to add new classes or the little bit of space we have are not conducive to small group uh, ministry. So we've done the best we could do and we just kept adding people to existing classes. 
A few of these classes have become way too big to be considered a small group. However, and I need you to listen to me good on this because I don't want anybody going out of here confused about this next point. Let me see the whites of your eyes. We are not pushing that existing classes divide if they choose to stay the same. However, moving forward, we want to strongly encourage that we add classes rather than keep adding people to existing classes and making classes so big that they lose their intimacy and they lose their ability to really minister as we need to be ministered to. We believe that this will produce a better setting conducive to strong growth. In order to do that, we need to make some changes um, in our structure and in our organization and I will tell you that this all began with the staff at our staff retreat um, where we were looking at our Sunday school numbers and how our Sunday school just wasn't, didn't seem to be growing. And so we uh, came up with a proposal and we went to the church council and then we went to the deacons and then we went to the admin team. And then we brought all three of those groups together on a Tuesday night, I think it was, and we met right here in the sanctuary. And those three groups have given their support to the proposal that is being presented to you this morning. The primary overall reason for their support was the growth of the church and the need for the growth in our Sunday small groups. They expressed their concern to do what is needed in order for the church to grow spiritually as well as numerically. So at this time, I want to ask Dennis Neely, uh, pastor, our pastor of church growth, to come up and present to you um, our proposal from the leadership body of the church um, at this time. Brother Dennis. So as Pastor Rick said, this proposal comes from not only our pastoral staff, but from our uh, lay leaders as well. Uh, and one thing I would include is that um, there was a kind of a research group done by Billy Pratt for about six to eight weeks and asking questions toward young adults who attend both the contemporary and the blended services um, about their opinions on things that they um, thought we needed to do to grow and to reach more young adults. And young adults is defined pretty, pretty loosely in that group. It was up to age 40, um, ages 20 to 40. And this was one of the top things, this schedule change was one of the top things that they um, said that they really felt like needed to change because they brainstormed a bunch of ideas and then they as a group voted through all those ideas and what they thought ranked the most important and this was toward the very top. Um, so let me kind of tell you guys what the thought process is behind the recommending this change and what the proposed change is as well. So as Pastor Rick just said, this change is all about growth. It's all about church growth. Um, we know that God calls us uh, to, to grow disciples to reach new people and so our current schedule limits our church growth that's our first priority with this change there might be other good reasons to make this change but we really feel like that's the number one uh, point as i believe tracy bennett was the one who pointed out when we met with all our lay leaders that this is really about change and it's because we don't maximize our use of uh, sunday group space 
um, that's, a, that's a problem. We are at capacity. Our children don't have any new places to go, according to Hannah. She said, we've used all our space, and if we're going to keep growing, I don't even know where to uh, keep putting um, kids on Sunday mornings. Uh, but that's happening as well with our adult Sunday group classes. Um, we have uh, moments like this morning. We have a women's group who's going to meet just one time for an interest meeting. And since I don't have anywhere to put them, I had to ask our college class to combine with a, a young, young adults class that's going to meet here in a little bit just to create a room, create a space for that women's group to meet. So um, based on the focus groups that I discussed, uh, the service time of the contemporary service is difficult for families with young children. So some of us might think, oh, contemporary service, they like loud music and they like to sleep in. Well, there's more to that target group than that. And um, those with children are already awake in the morning and are ready to go to church and get on with their day. Um, and the problem comes is that when the service ends uh, far afternoon, usually about 12.15 or 12.20, um, somewhere in that range, then um, they need to get their kids down for naps. It keeps them from being able to do things like, um, sometimes some of them have said, I would like to go out to lunch with people who are visitors or guests. I can't do that because i got to go straight home and get my kid uh, to, to have food and have a nap. Um, and some of our young adults have switched to come to this service because we changed to make the contemporary service at such a late uh, time. Um, so... That second point I've already mentioned, it essentially prevents people from socializing after services. So our limitations uh, with our current Sunday a.m. schedule. Um, our current schedule makes it difficult to have church-wide events on Sunday after the service as the blended service people don't like to wait around. Now, I don't like the way that's phrased. I did not write that. <laughs> I want you to know that was written by a blended service attendee who I will keep nameless. Um, but I, what I would say is it's not fair to ask you guys to wait around for an hour just so we can have um, a time where we socialize or do a special event, have a special lunch. And you've seen that we've often been changing our schedule. And so you guys are waking up each Sunday morning going, okay, wait a minute. Do we have a combined service today or do we not? Um, is my church just trying to change the schedule constantly to confuse me, make me not go to church? That's not what's happening. We're trying to create opportunities for fellowship. Um, but we know it's not fair to ask you guys to to wait around for an entire hour when you're not in a service or in a Sunday group. Um, so the current schedule compresses our worship services, um, which limits our time for music and time for Rick to preach in a more in-depth way. Um, I was talking to somebody at a, a larger church here in North Carolina recently at the um, Pregnancy Care Center event, and he said, we were just talking about the life of his church and the life of ours, and he said, you know, a while back, we just decided we have to be who we are. And I thought that was a great point. He was just saying, you know, if it's your style to have an hour and 15 or an hour and a half service, you need to do that and not try to compress it to an hour. Um, our current schedule, it limits the time for Sunday group time, especially um, when this service runs long, which is why I'm trying to talk quickly through all these points. Um, and as you guys can see and look around, we're out of space in this service um, in the sense that now, there are a few empty chairs, but in the sense that church growth research says that once you reach about 70 to 75% capacity for a service, you will no longer be able to grow um, any larger than that. Uh, so uh, I think we're doing very well to, to use this space the way we're using it this morning. Uh, but I want to remind you guys, if we're going to be making this decision based on church growth and reaching new people, making space for new people to be here, then yeah, if it's your first time visiting and you come in and you go, oh my goodness, you know, Tracy's a really nice, and Mike are really nice, and other people are really nice, um, 
uh, uh, people who are showing me to my seat, but there's nowhere to sit in here. And if I don't catch somebody who's doing that, showing them to their seat, an usher, then they're probably even more freaked out by looking around and going, uh, uh, there's nowhere for me to sit and be uh, inconspicuous coming into this service. So um, we, here is our proposed schedule. Uh, the new schedule would be that this service still starts at 9 o'clock, and it goes till 10.15. Then, um, while that's taking place, Sunday groups would be happening for those who would go to the contemporary worship service. From 10.15 to 10.30, we'd have time to fellowship in the halls, time to make a transition. That's really important because for those of you who don't go to the contemporary service, you might not realize that for the f beginning of that service, it's kind of a ghost town, and then everybody just shows up and arrives like when we're in to about the second song of worship. Um, and that's really uncomfortable for visitors as well. What they don't know is that there are a lot of people who are gonna come into that service, but they're still in their Sunday group and they didn't have that much time to transition into the worship service. And um, then from 10.30 to 11.45, uh, while we're having contemporary worship, um, there would be Sunday groups. And if you are attending the blended service, then you would go to a Sunday group during that time. So that's our proposal for the new schedule. So I want to go over some quick benefits and, um, and then challenges to this proposal. So the benefits of the new schedule is it provides an opportunity for church growth, as we've discussed. Um, it adds 15 minutes to both worship and Sunday groups. So it gives us more time um, to be discipled in our groups and more time to enjoy worship together in a large group, as both are important, as our pastor just said. Significantly increases the available education space. So basically we're using... Uh, our space in a limited time in a limited way right now or we could be doubling our space by just changing our schedule so this allows us to have twice the space for Sunday groups with everyone arriving and leaving at the same time the goal is increased fellowship creating a spirit of oneness and unity that's an, another way that pastor Dave likes to say that um, from what he's learned at temple is excitement breeds excitement so um, when we're all coming and worshiping together and we all see each other um, it just adds to the level of excitement and what a great place Cornerstone is to be uh, in worship each Sunday morning. Uh, and if you go to the contemporary service and you're leaving here and you guys have already left, then you don't see as many people and it feels a little less exciting when the service lets out. Uh, people stay and talk to one another, but um, Mike and Suzanne Billups noted that they're taking care of kids during that time. And they said, man, you guys, this whole section of the building is empty and it just feels really weird. Um, so we wanna get rid of that uh, feeling of weirdness. Um, <laughs> It allows families with small children to um, attend the contemporary service before their lunchtime. So I already mentioned that. Um, if you used to be a parent a long time ago or you're not a parent yet, maybe you need the reminder that the nap time struggle and meltdown is real. Um, so that's why it's been mentioned more than once. Some of the adults are saying, I need my Sunday afternoon nap. I get, I get really groggy and whiny. All right, let's talk about the, um, what I would call growing pains. Uh, so you still see the schedule in front of you. But I, I just want to say that these points here, willingness to change for the sake of church growth. So this will cause Sunday groups, certain classes to split because some of them go to different hours of worship. And so uh, Jeff Colbert and I have been talking and uh, with others and have been trying to figure out how do we get our current Sunday groups, some of them to plant, to start new classes. Um, and uh, with this change, it will kind of force our hand and we'll need to do that. Um, and as Pastor said, we don't have anywhere new to put people. Well, this will create the space and the ability to plant those new classes, which is important. 
Um, several of the classes have a mix of attendees of both services. Um, some members might be encouraged to um, attend a certain service for fostering church growth and a balance of attendance. What that means is there are some people who are in here because they love both services kind of equally, not, not a problem for them, but because the other service lets out so late and maybe they have kids and they need to get home or get out of here before noon, uh, this will correct that problem for them. If they are equally happy with both services, maybe some of our people will choose to go to the other service hour, which would create more space in this room, which then solves the problem I mentioned earlier about the 70 to 75% capacity and um, lack of growing. So that is it. Let me mention a couple of things. I want you to know that tonight's in the back of your bulletin. Tonight, there are, oh, I better, I better mention those. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead and go through those slides. I'm trying to get us out of here. Um, let me talk about this real quickly. The willingness to change for the second church growth. So the one challenge, one of the biggest challenges to this is that two youth Sunday groups would need to exist. Um, some will likely change while others will be impacted by friends being in a different time slot. So um, if you're a youth, you're going to choose to go where, you're, uh, where your friends are going. Um, the tough thing about this is that it will um, make our youth groups in Sunday morning times a little bit smaller. Um, but it also provides the opportunity for new youth to connect and for us to grow in that area as well. But we do want to um, note that we are aware of the challenge that, that presents for our youth and for their parents. Um, and this says many in the blended worship service enjoy the current schedule, um, including getting out of Sunday groups at 11. We know you enjoy that. Um, and we, we, we thought about that. Uh, and one thing is, I know some of you will probably still, once you have all this extra Sunday group time, you will be able to just let out um, a few minutes early. We, we're still, you're still going to get out by 11.45, so you're going to beat all the Methodists to the buffet, okay? Um, but you can even do it at like 11.40 or 11.35 and still, um, you know, beat everybody else. Um, so we just want to note those things. Uh, there is a Q&A tonight. It's the last thing I want to say. There's a Q&A tonight at 6 p.m., and if you're a parent of a child or youth and you have questions about how this proposed change affects children's ministry or youth ministry, then you want to come to tonight at 6 p.m. in room 102, uh, because Patrick and Hannah will both be there. There will be another Q&A time, uh, which is not this coming Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, and uh, we will be happy to, to answer any questions you have um, in both of those times. So that is it. I believe we can close in song of worship. Yes, we will vote two Sundays from now. We will vote two Sundays, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after when we have given you guys plenty of time to come to these Q&A question sessions or also email, call any of the pastoral staff, any of your leaders. I mean, we're open for, that, for all those questions. We pr presented you a couple of formal times to ask questions, but you can contact us anytime, and then we will vote on the 20th, two Sundays from today.